Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, verse 10. I, I, I struggle just a little bit because a little bit of what we're going to talk about and preach about t- tonight is, if you will, a bit elementary. But yet, sometimes we've got to go back and understand these elementary concepts so that later you can get a bit deeper into what God wants us to have. And I want to just kind of preface my statement by or my sermon by this. And that is there is something that you don't hear a lot about in in church today. And that is spiritual warfare. We don't talk a lot about that. It, it, it has a bit of a negative connotation. Nobody likes war. Nobody likes conflict. And so it becomes very easy to overlook that. It becomes very easy to uh, kind of push that aside. But I want to encourage you that we cannot forget the fact that we are in a spiritual war. And as much as I love the presence of God and as much as I love the good things that we get in the presence of God and I like the fact that He blesses, we cannot deny the fact that there is always in our lives, in our churches, in our homes, in our families, there is a battle that rages. And so uh, I believe that, that sooner or later each of us discover that living for God is not a playground but a battleground. And so I want to talk a little bit about this. And so let's read, if you will, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of finish out the chapter. I'm going to read the text from the, the English Standard Version, and then later on I'll switch a lot to the King James. Uh, but it says this in verse 10, by, but Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also know how I am doing and what I am doing. Titius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love from faith, or love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Part of that, I'm assuming most of us have a knowledge of. We've heard the armor of God and its various uh, understandings. And Paul was no stranger to using military uh, illustrations 
in, in his uh, understanding. He, he said in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life where unto thou art called and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. He goes on to say in 2 Timothy that you should endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But I, I want to say this and, and I, I want you to understand that without Jesus you cannot win. Now I'm, I'm with most everybody else I don't see demons behind every bush when I wake up and and, and I've got a, 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 a cough and a tickle in my throat I don't necessarily blame the devil for being sick uh, I understand how life works and so I, I don't I don't see all of that all the time but we have to understand there is an enemy of our soul and this is what most don't realize this enemy is stronger than you are I want to say that again the enemy we fight is stronger than you are. What that means is if you just rely on yourself, you're going to fall. How many times have I said behind this pulpit, I don't have to teach my kids to lie? They're going to automatically lie. They're going to automatically rebel because of our own self. In fact, there's three uh, enemies that we face as Christians. And, and if you read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, uh, he, he kind of hits all of these. But the, the, we, we face the world, we face the flesh, and we face the devil. The world, if you will, it refers to the system around us that's opposed to God. One, per, one, one writer said, it's the, the world that caters to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's why John said in 1 John chapter 2 verse 15, love not the world neither the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Somebody said the world is society apart from God. And we see that daily in the life that you and I live. The, the world, the society that we're around seems to, for the most part, exist and want to exist away from God's presence, rule, and authority. And so because of that, we have to be careful of the world. The flesh is that old nature, that, that sinful nature that because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden now is passed on through all of humanity from beginning all the way into the end. It's a nature that is opposed to God. The, see, you know, our lives, we, we have two, uh, kind of two, and, and I'm sure there's, there's other ways to describe it, but if you will, we have a flesh that's opposed to God. An old nature that's opposed to God. But we have a soul that hungers for God. That's why you can have one person that says, I hunger for God, but their actions don't show that. It's because most of the time we don't listen to the soul too much. We let our flesh lead and guide us. Go read Romans chapter 7 and see the fight that Paul had with his flesh and his soul. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. 
When I read in my Bible, I shouldn't do this, and I know I shouldn't do it, and my brain is screaming, don't do it, and everything about me, Jiminy Cricket, the conscience, whatever it is you want to call it, says don't do it, and at the end of the day, I lay my head down to sleep, and I did it. You fought that battle? Absolutely. And so we battle the flesh. We battle our old nature. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 says, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And if you skip down to verse 6, it says, We know that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. If you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, if you have not been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you will, you're going to fight a losing battle because the flesh is there. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Nevertheless, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, or sorry, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because of salvation, I can let that old nature die. I can say I'm done with it. I don't want you to, to rule my life anymore. The problem is too many of us, even though we've been saved, we didn't quite kill that old flesh. We just knocked it unconscious for a time period. And then about the time you're least expecting it, it shakes itself and sin begins to pull. We fight the world, society without God. We fight the flesh and we fight the devil. The devil is, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 kind of gives us, it doesn't mention the devil, but it just shows the battle we fight. What, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also that is to come. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that fulfilleth all in all. Let me just, I know that's a big mouthful and there's a lot of theology that, that unfortunately tonight I don't have time to go through because there's a lot more I need to get to. But let me just tell you this, even though we wrestle against the flesh, even though we wrestle against the world, and even though we wrestle against uh, the, the devil, you need to understand that God has already defeated all three. You, you ever heard someone say, I read the back of the book and we won, you know? I, I know what it is. Here's the thing. So many times, and, and I, I, I quote from Warren Wearsby, he said this. He said, in other words, as believers, we should not fight for the victory, but we should fight from the victory. You don't need to fight to overcome it. God's already overcome it. You need to use the weapons God has given you. It's kind of like, you know, whose side you're going to be on. I, I, I'd like to just say if God's already won, if God's already defeated him, then I'm going to go stand on God's side because then I'm going to be okay. So th there's a few things I, I want to look at, it, and, and hopefully you've got your Bible still open there to Ephesians chapter 6. But here's a few things that we need to know. We know that we fight against the, the flesh. We fight against the, uh, uh, the world. We fight against the devil. But Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, 
It's kind of like the intelligence, if you will. One of the things about spiritual warfare that's so important is know whom you're battling. It's, it's important that you don't waste your time uh, uh, you, you know, waste your time fighting against the wrong things. The, the, you can use a lot of different names. Satan, the devil. Devil means accuser. Revelation chapter 12 gives us insight. It says that he stands before the throne of God and accuses God's people day and night. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I don't quite understand that. All right? In my mind, I see God in heaven. And I kind of don't see any place for the devil in heaven. Does that make sense? Except when you go and you read the book of Job, you find that for whatever reason, God allows them to come into his throne room. How many of you have siblings? How many of your siblings tattled on you? Did it drive you crazy? I love the fact that all you adults still raise your hand. <laughs> And to me, that's what I get. It's not that we didn't do it wrong. It's not that we're wrong. It's just every day and every moment, there is an enemy, an accuser of our soul that stands in heaven before God, and he is constantly rehashing everything that we have done or everything that we've thought about, and he's constantly in heaven going, have you thought about Brandon? Did you see what he did? Did you see how he messed up? He accuses us day and night. The word Satan means an adversary, and we know and we understand that, that, that he is an adversary, an enemy of God. Matthew 4 says he is a tempter, and all of us have experienced that as well. And if you read in John, he's a murderer and a liar. In 1 Peter, he's compared to as a lion. In Genesis, he's compared to as a serpent. In 2 Corinthians, he's uh, compared to as an angel of light and the God of this age. And so all of those are, are good ways to describe the enemy that we fight. Because, you know, I, I think we need to understand, you know, if you say he's like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, if he's a serpent, they use those words on purpose. He didn't say Satan's like a fluffy little Pomeranian. He didn't say Satan's like a cute little bunny rabbit, although I've had a few rabbits in my life and they were partly spawn of Satan usually. But, you know, uh, you, 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 don't, you don't get all of that. He uses those words on purpose to tell you there is an enemy of our soul. And as much as I want to shout and as much as I want to worship and as much as I like the good things of God, it is important for me to realize there is someone coming after me. And I believe just as, just as if you were a part of, of the military and and there are so many stories that you could go through. You could uh, go to Pearl Harbor and, and the attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7th. You'll find that there was a lot that happened where intelligence said there's an enemy coming. Intelligence said there is an attack imminent. And there were those that refused to believe the intelligence. And because of that, we suffered a pretty crippling loss. And a lot of us Christians are like that too. We overlook the fact that there is an enemy. And because of that, we're kind of like Pearl Harbor, if you will. 
those attacks come. And at the end of the day, we kind of step back and go, where did that come from? In reality, the Bible's been telling us we have an enemy of our soul. Not only that, but Paul says that, that, that it, it's not just Satan, but it's principalities, it's powers, it's rulers, it's spiritual wickedness in high places. I don't, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time on, on Satan and demons, okay? You, you, you can look back at the body of work that, that are my sermons, and you, if you could get every sermon and categorize them, I don't spend a lot of time talking about demons. But we do need to realize, Charles B. Williams kind of translate that as this. Our contest is not with human foes alone, but it's with rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this dark world, that is, spiritual forces of evil that challenge us in this heavenly contest. And again, I don't see a demon behind every bush. I don't wake up and wrestle with demons, but you've got to understand, Satan isn't doing this all on his own. Most of us would, would read the Bible and, and kind of extrapolate out of that according to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4 that there was a third of the angels that fell with Satan out of heaven and it's those third of the angels, I don't know how many that is but it's at least a third of them and they are fighting and they are warring and they are struggling and they are attacking and they are, are, are picking and pushing at all of us there is a battle going on in this world there's a battle going on in heaven. And if you know this, we can either choose to be blind to it and let it happen, or we can walk in victory because God has already won the fight. I want to tell you again, though, you don't fight against humans. I know a lot of the attacks come from the human side, but at the end of the day, I'm not fighting against a person. I'm fighting against the spirit working in that person. I'm fighting against the world, the society apart from God. I'm fighting against the flesh in a person that rears its ugly head and does the wrong thing. Or I'm fighting against the enemy, the devil, that likes to work. And so I want to encourage you to understand, don't fight people. Fight the spiritual battle. Paul you can read Acts chapter 19. You'll find that there was almost a riot that took place. And it could have destroyed the church. It was uh, Demetrius. In fact, I, I really like reading it. I read it just recently. Demetrius was a silversmith. And Paul's preaching and everybody's seemingly being converted. And Demetrius, the silversmith, builds a lot of idols there in Athens and, 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 and there. And, and he's going, uh, uh, you, you know, we're going to lose business because people are converting. And they're worshiping this one true God who doesn't like idols. And so I'm going out of business. And so they begin to get together, the, the, the idol guild, if you will. And, and they begin to, to, to rise up. But I'm going to tell you, Paul wasn't fighting Demetrius. Paul was fighting the spirit of this world. And so I think it's important. Uh, there was some advice that was given to the king of Syria in 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 31. And, and even though that's a, a, a physical example of a battle that was fought, I think the advice would work in our spiritual battle. It says, fight neither with small or great, save only with the king. And sometimes we need to realize who we're battling and say, I'm going to fight against the enemy. Satan is a strong enemy. And the only way you're going to defeat him is with the power 
of God. Read the book of of Job. Look at what Satan, and I know he was allowed. I'm aware of that. I understand all of that. But look at what he could do. He could could touch a man's body. He could wreck a home. He destroyed the wealth. He destroyed his friends. He's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have preached it. Brother Perryman, I'm sure you have too. You've said, we say the Bible says that he's only come to kill and steal and to destroy. Doesn't say he does it. I'm aware of that. But sometimes we like the fact of what it says and we kind of overlook it and then all of a sudden we're standing with some broken pieces in our life and because we weren't on the lookout of it. He does attack. He does fight. And that, that the, the, the uh, Ephesians chapter 6, it uses the word wiles. You could take the wiles of the devil, if you will. We fight against the wiles. That means he's cunning. He's crafty. That means he understands strategy. You know, it's one thing to be strong. One thing to just brute strength. It's one thing to just attack head on. And, and, and if, if that's the only way the devil attacked, we could put some walls up where he attacks and we could be strong in that area. But here's what matters when it comes to fighting a spiritual warfare. The devil realizes there's some walls in your life he can't attack. But he sure knows those weaker areas. He knows how to find the place that you hadn't thought about. He knows how to weasel his way in and lie in wait, if you will. He can masquerade as an angel of light. He can blind or at least seek to blind men's minds to the truth of the word. And I think Paul's use of the word wrestle indicates that we're not just spectating, but it's hands on combat. We've got to defeat the enemy. He, he uses uh, 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 one said that Satan wants to use our external enemy, the world, and our internal enemy, the flesh, to defeat us. And either one of those might be the part that's weaker in our lives. We might be strong internally, but the world gets us down, or vice versa. But you know what? Not only does Paul tell us that we fight, and I'm glad he does. I think we need our eyes open to that. But I'm glad he also says that just as we're fighting enemies in the spiritual warfare, let me tell you how you win. And this is where it might get a little uh, elementary. But When's the last time you really thought about the armor that God has given us? When's the last time you tried it? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 says, Neither give place to the devil. So that that devil knows how to look for the unguarded parts in our life. And so when you begin to examine the, the armor of God, you realize that God was pretty thorough in his protection of the Christian. And when you've taken the armor, and when you've used the weapons, and you're standing against Satan, do everything you can, and you can stand fast because God has already won. Romans 8.31, have you ever heard this? If God be for us, who can be against us? First thing the Bible teaches and tells us is you put on that belt or that girdle or that girth of truth. Satan's a liar. Have you ever noticed that? He's a big liar. Problem is we like to believe a lot of his lies, but he's a liar. But if your life is controlled by the truth, the lies won't matter. 
when you begin to study the armor and, and you know armor we have to be very careful we don't try to put medieval armor in how this fits that wasn't invented yet you got to look at some Roman armor or some Greek armor that's what Paul would have been writing and when you begin to understand that you realize that the belt holds all of the parts of the armor together it's what kind of ties it all in and I want to tell you I've preached it a couple times in the last month this truth of God is what holds us together without this truth it doesn't matter how much you pray it doesn't matter how much you fast it doesn't matter if you've got some good things in your life you've got to have the truth and when you live a life of truth when you live a life of integrity when you live a life with a clear conscience then you can face the enemy without fear so I'm going to tell you the moment you step away from the truth is the moment that enemy has a foothold when he can when he can start saying yeah yeah well you're, you you haven't lived a life of integrity you don't have a clear conscience somebody said also that the, the, not only does the, the belt or the girdle of truth hold the armor together, but it's also what holds the sword. Later on, we'll talk about it. It talks about the sword uh, uh, of, of, that's the word of God. And if you don't practice the truth, you can't use the truth. I'm going to say that very carefully because I think this is a, a problem that a lot of Christians get into. We want to use the word when it, when, when it fits us, but we don't want to live the word. You want to know why a lot of our prayers, even if you pray the word, may be a bit ineffective? Because you haven't lived the word. You can't just grab the word of God and speak it like, like bippity-boppity-boop or whatever it is, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Or, it's not some magic word that just suddenly happens. You can go to every sickness and demon you want and say, in Jesus' name I cast you out. But if you're not living the truth, those words are in vain. And so before you try to use the sword of the word of God, you need to walk and live in the word of God. The next piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. It was made of metal plates or some of it was chain mail and it covered the body from the neck down to the waist. It covered the front and it covered the back and it symbolizes the, the righteousness that you and I have in Christ Jesus. Not our righteousness. That's filthy rags, the Bible says. But because you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb and because you've been raised again by His Spirit, the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God became sin. He took our sin so that we could take His righteousness. That's a pretty good trade. He took all the nasty, ugly sin in our life so that we could have the beauty of holiness in Him. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, that you may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Here's why that righteousness is so important. Remember, Satan's the accuser. And if he comes and accuses you, and there's some truth in his accusations, he has the upper hand. Have any of you ever been falsely accused in your life? 
You know, the, the, the best feeling is the wor- in the world is when someone accuses you, but you know and you have proof that you didn't do it. And when Satan comes before God and he throws out any kind of accusation that he can throw, if you are living a godly life in the power of the Spirit, it kind of makes those attacks of Satan null and void. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to do my best because I'm, I'm hoping it's sinking in. I'm hoping I'm not just, you know, you're, you're starting to get back into your Sunday school classes when they did the, the uh, armor of God. I'm sure Sister Peters probably has a, a flannel graph of the armor of God and how it all fits together. But just because we learned about it in, in, as a child doesn't mean it doesn't hold true right now. And one of the greatest protections in your life against the enemy is to live a godly life in the power of his spirit and in righteousness. Because if you do that, those accusations have no foothold. But if you aren't living a godly life in the power of his spirit, if you are are acting godly, but, but if we really started to look at your history and we start looking at what you're doing and the devil can suddenly use that against you, it's a foothold that makes it easier for him to defeat us. The, uh, the second one is the shoes of the gospel. This is one that, to be honest, I've, I've struggled with a time or two. What are the shoes of the gospel? Hopefully this can help you out. The Roman soldier wore sandals, but they also wore sandals that they had put some hot, what they call hobnails in, and it basically gave them some better footing. Think cleats, if you will. The way that the, our, our, our uh, uh, sports uh, one, you know, people wear, but they would use that. It would give them better footing in battle. And so if you're going to stand, if you're going to withstand the attacks of the enemy, if you're going to square your shoulders up and put your shoulder into it and stand, then you're going to have to have the shoes of the gospel. The Bible says it's the gospel of peace. And I believe that that gospel of peace comes from two ways. Number one, Romans 5.1. Therefore, we have peace with God. When you have been repented and forgiven of your sins, when you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb by the waters of baptism, when you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and when you have allowed His righteousness to be imputed unto you, then you are at peace with God. He doesn't, uh, uh, when He opens it up and, and all of the sin that used to be there has been blotted out, you are at peace with God. There's no record of your sin. There's no record of what you've done. You're at peace with God you need the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what gives us peace with God but I'd like to tell you another way you need to have you need that salvation to give you peace with God but you need that salvation to give you peace with others James says it this way from whence comes war and fighting among you come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members you lust, you crave, you're jealous, you won't, and you have not. 
you kill and you desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war because you have not, because you ask not. You ask and you receive not. You even pray, but it's because you're praying wrong. You're just wanting God to bless you. It's not really the right way to ask. You want to consume it upon your lust. You're adulterer and adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship of the world is enmity or enemies with God? And whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Don't you think that the or do you think that the spirit say, the, the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwells in us lusteth to envy but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he said God resist the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. One of the greatest things I I carry various notepads. I've got a notepad on my phone. I've got a little black uh, three-by-five card holder that I write stuff down in it. And that's where I write what I call my sermon seeds. Uh, it could be when someone else is preaching. It could be when I'm reading the Bible. It could be when I'm praying. God, will give me something. One of these days, I'm going to preach a sermon because one of the greatest sins in our world today is selfishness. But when you read the Bible, Jesus says we're not to be selfish, we're to be selfless. That what I do is not for my gain, but how can I help you? The first shall be last. And so I think it's important that if you're going to defeat the enemy, first you need peace with God. You need to be saved. But second, you need peace with each other. And there's one more meaning of the gospel of the shoes of peace. And that is, each and every day, it is our mission to walk this world and share the gospel of peace with the lost world. This world's got enough conflict. This world's got enough hatred. This world has got enough racism. This world has got enough fighting and warring and and bickering going on that when you were at your work, it doesn't need to be that when they see you, they see everything else they see in this world. They need to see you sharing the gospel of peace. That's why Isaiah 52 and verse 7 and also Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 talks about the beautiful feet. Now I'm going to be the first one to say I don't think no feet's beautiful. Not at all. You will never see me wear sandals or flip-flops because I don't think feet's beautiful. But when it comes to the witnessing Christian. The Lord says, how beautiful are the feet that spread the gospel. How beautiful are the feet that walk and go to this world. Satan, I love, another commentator said this, Satan declared war upon you and I, but you and I are called to be ambassadors of peace. That's, I, I, I like that, that dichotomy. I like that fight. Yeah, we fight against Satan, but with everyone else, I'm called to be an ambassador of peace. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. And all things are of God who reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Go to verse 20. Now you are ambassadors for Christ. And though, Christ, and they go, and though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. The next one, verse 16, is the shield of faith. 
The shield, if you can envision a Roman uh, armor, that shield of faith was some four foot tall and two foot wide. It was made of wood and covered by tough leather. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but you can take a journey into the uh, wild west of our days and you will find that the, the, uh, the Indians would make a shield out of the, the, the hump of a buffalo and it was just a leather shield wrapped around a, uh, a framework of sticks but they, they had some mechanism of wetting that and stretching it and wetting it and drying it and wetting and drying it and there are plenty of, uh, of stories and, and true antidotes where that leather shield would stop the bullets from the Winchester rifles and these shields, these leather shields, the Bible tells us it protects us from the fiery darts of the enemy. But there's one thing that I, you don't think a lot when it comes to a shield, but the Roman soldiers are one of the, the probably maybe the only ones that I can think of that did this, and that was when the Romans designed their shields, they designed the edges of the shield that soldiers could stand next to each other and interlock their shields. It's a type of warfare that you don't see hardly anywhere else. But there were soldiers that could interlock their shield and, and literally become a moving tank, if you will. And it could defeat. And I'd like to tell you today that sometimes, yeah, we fight alone. But it's a whole lot better when I can put my shield to faith. I can come to church and I can interlock my shield to faith with one of your shields. And together, my faith, your faith, together we realize we're not in the battle Alone. Now the Bible has a lot of different types of faith, if you will. There's a saving faith, but the faith here is not saving faith, but it's a living faith. It's a trust in the promises of God. It's a trust in the power of God. It's a defensive mechanism that we can defeat Satan's fiery darts. Satan shoots those darts. He shoots it at our minds. He shoots it at our hearts. Lies and blasphemous thoughts and hateful thoughts and doubts, burning desires and lusts for sin. And if you're not careful, if you don't stop those darts, if you don't quench those darts, they'll catch on fire and they'll light a fire within you. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. You never know when that fiery dart is shot by Satan, so you must always walk by faith and carry the shield of faith the helmet of salvation in verse 17 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 reminds us it says that I, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtly, subtly so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ he reminded us that Eve fell because Satan attacked her mind. Did God say, have this, does this really mean this? The helmet of salvation, I believe, tells us that if we'll let our mind be controlled by God, it will protect us from a lot of things. You know, I think we need to, under, the Bible says we need to study to show ourselves approved. I believe it's important that, that we have that intellect of the Word of God. It's not just that, that 
that God um, pops something in our mind. There's a lot of people that, that have uh, prayed before a test. God, give me all the answers to the test. I'm not going to ask you if any of you have ever prayed that, but I know we have. God, you're standing there at your finals, and you haven't studied one lick. You slept all through class all semester long, and now you want God to suddenly give you all the answers. That's not how it works. But what the Bible does teach us is he will bring to remembrance that which we have learned. Why have I taken on a crusade of sorts that I would uh, uh, preach and teach the importance in 2018 of going and getting a Bible and reading a Bible and studying the Bible? It's because when you come into a war against the enemy, God is not going to just give you the answers if you've never done any work. How did, how did Jesus defeat the enemy in, the, in the, the wilderness right after he was baptized? He started saying, thus saith the word of God. And the only way you know the word of God is if you've read and studied the word of God. And so you need to let your mind be filled with what you study, what you read, and what you put your mind to. I, by no means, am a computer programmer. But I was raised in the burgeoning computer uh, uh, times with the, the old Commodores and the Apple IIe computers. And uh, some of you know what I'm talking about, those old green flashing monitors. And, and you had big, what was it, five and a half inch floppy disks, I think. And one floppy disk would hold the... The, the program and the other floppy disk would hold what you could save. They didn't have any internal memory, at least the first computer we had. And so I remember being in school, we, we learned some, some simple programming. We can make some pretty cool little games by simple programming. But there is a programming term that says garbage in, garbage out. If what you program is flawed, if what you program is bad, you cannot blame the final result because it's going to be bad. And so I would like to tell you today that what you put in your mind affects who you are. That's why the Bible says put no unclean thing before your eyes. That's why you better guard what you watch, what you read, what you listen to, where you go, who you're with. What goes in your mind. And so that's why the Bible says put on the helmet. Of salvation. When you are saved, it ought to, the Bible says, uh, uh, Behold, the old man, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It bothers me immensely when I watch someone that has been saved continue to ingest the trash that they ingested before salvation. When we are saved, there ought to be a helmet that says, Brandon, some of the things you used to do before salvation are not acceptable now. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that helmet of salvation guides what I watch and guides what I listen to and guides what I study and guides what I put in. And when God controls the mind, Satan can't lead us astray. But as you see with Eve, when the mind is not controlled by God, 
Satan comes and he deceives and he makes it sound good and he leads astray. If you study your Bible, if you read the Word of God, you're not going to be led astray when some charlatan comes and teaches you some other gospel. But when you know the truth, when you have grown in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then you can walk strong. The sword of the Spirit is the offensive weapon that God gives us. It's a, it's a, 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 a weapon that is for close combat, if you will. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That word of God pierces the inner man. It, 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 when, when, when you and I and all of us have been there, you've been in a church service and we've sinned and come short of the glory of God and the word of God begins to be preached and that word pierces us and we are moved by it and it cuts to the very core of who we are. It convicts us of our sin. The word of God pierces the heart. Word of God is sharpened. And that's why I think it's very important that we understand, and I said it earlier, the belt of truth. We've got to walk in the truth so we can use the truth. And the greatest weapon that you and I have is God's Word. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary, said that in one sense, the whole armor of God is a picture of of Jesus Christ. I want you to watch this. I want you to see this. The belt of truth, John 14, 6, says that Jesus is the truth. The righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Jesus is our righteousness. The shoes of peace, Ephesians 2, 14, Jesus is our peace. Faithfulness, he's our faith. He, he makes possible our faith. He is our salvation. He is the word of God. And so I'd like to tell you that putting on the armor of God is as simple as trusting Jesus who saved you. See, sometimes it's hard for us. How do I put on the armor of God? Well, here's what Paul said to do with the armor. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. And I read it again, but I want to read it one more time. And to what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead, set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him that is that is in all. So it's simple. Jesus already won. And so if you put on Christ, let me show you what Paul said. First off, Romans chapter 13, 11, he said, wake up. Wake up. Hopefully none of you need that here in my sermon, but maybe you do, so wake up. Wake up. The, 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 we're at that, 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 that night is far spent. We're, we, we need to be a, a cognizant of what happened. He says, wake up, cast off sin, put on the armor of light, and you do it when you put on 
our Lord Jesus Christ. You put on the armor of God. You trust God for the victory. You put that salvation on, or you put that armor on at the moment of salvation. But I, I need to just help you out. I'm glad you were saved, and most of us could point back to an altar or a place where God filled us with the Holy Ghost. We could go back to a baptismal tank where we were baptized, and I'm thankful for that. And there is an understanding that at that moment, you put on Christ. But when you wake up each and every day, you need to say, God, I want to still put you on. And one of the most dangerous places to be is when you take off the armor and you relax. In, the, in, in David's life, David began to fall. If you begin to read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, when the king should have been out in battle, David had stayed home and hung up his armor, and it was then that he fell for Bathsheba and everything began to fall away. And so I'm going to tell you right now, you can't ever take a break until God calls us home. I want musicians to come, and I, I want to just quickly push a few things that it says. If, the, if we understand the enemy and we understand the armor, then you got to understand what's the energy behind it, what's the, the power behind it. And Paul says it's the power of prayer. I love the fact that when Amalek attacked Israel, Mo, Joshua and Caleb, they were down in the valley and they were fighting. But what was Moses doing up on top? He's praying. If you begin to read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, he says, pray always. doesn't mean that you got to say something all the time. In fact, that would be the exact opposite because Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7 says you're not going to be heard because you say a lot of words. So God's not interested in a long prayer that you pray 24 hours a day. But what it means is pray without ceasing. It means always be in communication with the Lord. It doesn't make a lot of sense in today's uh, cell phones and stuff like that. But before cell phones came and before modern phone lines hit, you could just leave your phone off the hook and be in constant communication. Even if you weren't saying anything, you were there. You could, you could pick it up. Someone made this statement, says, when you pray, please don't ever say, Lord, we come into your presence because you should have never left his presence. I, I love watching saints of God that no matter where they are, the moment they begin to pray, they're tapped into the presence of God. That's a mature saint. Not an old saint necessarily, a mature saint. But I've watched other people, when they pray, it takes them 30 minutes just to get in the presence of God. It's because they weren't praying always. They weren't praying without ceasing. You need to be in your presence. He says, pray with all prayer little confusing until you realize that there's more than one kind of praying. You can there's supplications, there's intercessions, there's thanksgiving. And if when you pray, you're always asking God for something, that's supplication. If you're always asking God for something, you're missing out on some of the most incredible types of prayers you can pray. Intercessions and thanksgiving. In fact, I would tell you that one of the greatest weapons you can have against Satan is thanksgiving. Watch what happens when you just sit down. Don't ask God for anything. Just thank God for His presence, His blessings, His power. And watch Satan recoil. 
pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Remember, Jesus has already defeated the enemy. Jesus already knows. So sometimes you need to just let God begin to pray. Pray in the Spirit. And pray with your eyes open. It's that... uh, it's interesting, several times in the Bible, watch and pray is found. In Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 9, it says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And keep on praying. The word perseverance means to stick to it and don't quit. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Continuing instant in prayer. And listen, perseverance doesn't mean you're trying to twist God's arm. You're not bombarding heaven so you can drive him crazy like our kids do us and we finally give in because we can't handle their perseverance. That's not what it means. Robert Law said it, and I've heard this quoted all my life. Prayer is not getting is not getting man's will done in heaven, but it's getting God's will done on earth. Pray without ceasing and pray one for another. Pray for all the saints. The Lord's Prayer doesn't start, my Father. How does it start? Our Father, our Father, our Father. I pray for you and I hope you pray for me. Paul asked for the prayers of the Ephesians. Paul asked for those saints to pray. And I'm going to tell you that I, I have tried very hard to make sure that my prayer is not about me all the time. But I want to include a lot of y'all in it. In fact, there's a lot of times I pray and I get a mental picture. Now, if you come to church and you keep switching seats all the time, it makes it very hard for me to pray for you. Because when I pray, in my mind, I begin to walk down the pews. I know the young people that sit on these front pews. I know where Brother Steve sits, and I know where the Miller sit. Most of you have a pretty solid place, so as long as you don't keep moving, I'm praying for you. Sometimes I go get the, the, the little directory that we have, and I've prayed over that directory, called each of your name out. You know why? Because the final thing, and, and, and it, it's included at the end of Ephesians, and if you're, caref- if you're not careful, you'll miss it. But it was, I'm praying for you because I need your encouragement. Because sometimes when I'm in a battle, it feels like I'm the only one fighting. But then I come to church and I look around and I realize I'm not alone. There's others that stand with us in the fight. And so Paul encouraged the Ephesians. And Titus was an encouragement to Paul. And Paul was going to send Titus to Ephesus to be an encouragement of him. And so I want to tell you today that one of the greatest things in our spiritual warfare is encouraging one another. When you see one of your fellow uh, uh, saints of God fighting a little bit, warring, slogging through life, why don't you give them a call? Why don't you catch them at church? I'm going to tell you what, what helps me is when someone says, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Man, it just lets me stand up a little straighter and know that God's in it. Why don't we stand today? There, there's a lot more that we could go, and there's a lot deeper uh, uh, themes and elements that we could get when it comes to the things of God. But I want to tell you this. That if you'll just begin to, let, let, let's start small. Let's start easy. 
And we'll work our way up to some of the other spiritual warfare uh, uh, things. But if you'll let God begin to touch you, you'll find that you can win. I want us to take just a moment. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray according to how we've talked. Maybe you need to identify the enemy in your life. Maybe you need to realize that your flesh has been rising up one too many times. Or maybe you're fighting against the devil. Or maybe you're simply fighting against the world. Why don't you identify the enemy in your life? And then I want you to begin to pray. And I want you to say, God, because of your salvation and because of your uh, uh, authority over these principalities, you've already won. God, let me put on daily the armor of God. Pray that right now. Say, Lord... Would you help me walk in the truth? Would you let me gird uh, my, my loins with that belt of truth? Lord, would you let me walk in that truth?